0: So, good to have everyone here. This is, I think it will be recorded on our, on our website, if you know anyone that's not here that would be interested. This was one of Don McGinty's last official acts before he moved. He asked me to teach Romans, so any complaints, just call Don, I'm sure he'd be glad to hear from you. I miss those guys. Uh, What a great encourager Don was to me. Great, great encourager. Sir? Friday is Don's birthday. birthday. That would be a great time to give him a call, Thursday or Friday. So we're glad you're here. Uh, It's December the 4th, 2022 AD. The world is still counting time by Jesus. You know, a few years ago, they started using CE, common era, or current era, but it uses the same starting date. So whether you use AD or CE, it's still counting time by Jesus. So um, I'm going to stay with AD. Seems to be a movement in our world, Does, doesn't, isn't there to, uh, the more we can remove consciousness of God away from our conversation, away from our, um, just our social environment, that seems to be what the world wants to do. So, so you get C-E instead of A-D. It's meaning in the year of our Lord. Uh, but anyway, counting time by Jesus. Uh, Let's have a prayer and we will begin. Dear Father, we're grateful to you for this day. We know that it is in you that we live and move and have our being. And you give us each day that we have. We know that we're in transition, that we are moving through this temporary time into eternity. eternity uh, Eternity's already started for us, but into another phase. And we thank you for your promises and we thank you for Jesus and for what you've done to make this passage such a good uh, forward-looking thing for us, uh, for your provision and your care and to be in your presence. So we thank you for what you've done ask your blessings, Father, to different ones that we're all aware of that have different needs that are on our hearts. Many of those will be prayed for specifically a little later on. You know their needs and you know our hearts. And so we do ask your blessings physically and spiritually and emotionally according to your will. And ask your blessings, Father, today in this study, uh, to accomplish your purpose, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, well, as I'll just, you know, any teacher that uh, starts the book of Romans, Romans, if you read, pick the commentary you want, and the, the guy will start off saying it's one of the, the major doctrinal book in the New Testament and of the, the most uh, sophisticated of Paul's writings. So I feel pretty inadequate to try to go into this, but we will do what we can. Uh, two two um, primary focuses uh, in the first part of Romans. And one, Paul sets out to show his, the recipients of his letter and to prove to them man's great need for justification and his universal inadequacy for justification before God because Romans three twenty three, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All Jew, Greek, Gentile, whatever they are all men are susceptible and have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So we are in universal need of justification if we're going to have a relationship with God. So Paul starts out, there's a lot of bad news in the first part of Romans, and that's what he's talking about. It's just a pretty negative situation mankind is in. And then he will move into uh, the good news part to show that Jews and Gentiles alike, are we are all saved by faith. And so there's a transition between two major law systems in Romans. The old covenant, the law of Moses, a law of works under Moses that was unable, because of man's sin, unable to link him back to God properly. The the sacrifices of animals is not sufficient to forgive man's sins. Not sufficient. Uh, so there was a problem. The problem with the law of Moses was not the laws, which was holy. It was man's inability to keep the law and universally failed to do that. So Paul will discuss that in the first part of Romans. He'll go into that in great length and talk about the basis for our justification before God is going to be through faith, just as Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. And so he'll get into that in great detail. He will go on to talk about the power of sin and the greater power of life in the Spirit, greater than sin. And he'll talk about the true Israel. He'll talk about the basics of living the Christian life in the latter part of the book. So that's kind of an overview of what Paul gets to. which we'll go into all that with great detail and there'll be a lot of time for comments and discussion and so forth. Um, Also, as far as what you generally cover when you start a new study, when was it written? Well, most of the scholars put Romans between 55 and 58 AD during the reign of Nero. Nero reigned from 54 AD to 68 AD. So Paul's letter falls Early on in Nero's writings, uh, there had been in Rome under Claudius, who preceded Nero, there had been an expulsion of the Jews from Rome. And the historian Suetonius says there was always a disturbance going on between the Jews and the Christians over this crestus being the Christ. There was always tension going on between the two parties. And so finally, Claudius in 49 AD, he said, Jews, get out. So they were expelled from Rome until uh, the end of his reign, which was uh, into 54. And when he left and Nero came on the scene, the Jews started drifting back in to Rome. So it's a mixed audience that Paul's writing to, primarily Gentile probably, but there are Jews there as well. And as far as the occasion of this letter uh, written from Corinth, the scholars tell us, uh, if you will, turn with me to Romans 15 and and Paul, previously Saul, but he's now going by Paul, uh, sets out to these uh, recipients in Rome what he wants to do and why he's coming. And I'm in Romans 15. And I'll start in verse... uh, uh, 19. Uh, let's start in 18. So Paul says, I will not, Romans 15, 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to I have fulfilled this ministry of the gospel of Christ. And so now he starts in verse 20. So I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been preached. He wants to go into new territory, new ground. Uh, That's the part of Paul made three missionary journeys and he was always going into new territory to not build on someone else's foundation but to start fresh works in places where Jesus had not been preached. And he says that again here. He says in verse 20, he doesn't want to build on someone else's foundation. Uh, Verse 22, this is the reason uh, why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. Why have you been hindered, Paul, from coming to Rome? Because I was preaching into new territories in my missionary journeys. And I couldn't get loose to come to Rome, but I've been wanting to come to Rome a long time. And now I've finished the work in those uh, Asia Greece and Asia, Asia Minor. I finished that work and so now I'm free to come to Rome. Uh, Verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So he's planning to spend some time in Rome. Uh, At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem and bringing aid to the saints there from Macedonia and Achaia. They've made contributions And he's going to take those contributions to Jerusalem. And after he's delivered those gifts for the needy in Jerusalem, he's headed to Spain via Rome. Well, while he's in Jerusalem delivering those gifts, uh, when he shows up in the temple teaching, uh, the Jews, uh, there's a big uproar. And they tell... uh, You know, here's a guy that turned against them. He was one of them. And then he turned and went to the other side. He went to the Jesus disciple side. And uh, so they really don't like him. And they make complaints to the powers that be. He said, this man is teaching against us, the Jews. He's teaching against the law. And he's teaching against the temple. So they have, that's Acts 21, verse 27. So they have him arrested And during that arrest, he appeals uh, to Caesar. And so there he goes. He's headed to Rome because of his appeal under arrest to Caesar. And uh, that's how he's going to get to Rome. Um, So the setting of all of this, uh, we need to understand, I think, that um, there's just a lot of unrest going on in this region for the last 25 years. Since Jesus came and was raised... That was the catalyst, and there's been big upset going on now for two and a half decades when this is written in the mid-50s. There's political unrest. The Jews are always at odds with the Romans, and they're just not an easy people to govern. And so about 14 years after Paul writes this letter, finally the Romans have had enough, and they just come to Jerusalem, A.D. 70, and flatten it. Well, this has been brewing for quite a while. This has been brewing. So the political scene is very uh, disturbing during this period when uh, Paul is writing. And then there's the religious disturbance going on, the question of who is, who is this Jesus? Is he really the Messiah? And the Jews are, uh, that are in place, the, the high priests that had him killed, the Pharisees, the scribes, and so on, they are very much against this new way that threatens to replace, in their view, the Old Covenant, the laws of Moses, and replace it with this new teaching about Jesus, and also with that new teaching, they will lose their power as well, their place. So there's a lot of unsettled uh, situation going on here, politically and religiously, and they're very antagonistic um, toward Paul. Paul. This has been going on for a while. You know, in, in Matthew chapter 3, when John starts teaching, John the Baptist, he starts teaching and he's out there one day as he, as he did, uh, baptizing folks and teaching about the, the new, uh, the Messiah that is coming. He sees the Pharisees approaching him and he, he looks up and John says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I mean, uh, so before Jesus got here, John, he recognized the, these guys, their hearts weren't right, and he called them a brood of snakes, and he tells them, you need to repent from the wrath that's coming, better repent. So Jesus continued uh, as he developed in his ministry, uh, there are many um, uh, encounters and um, controversies and uh, the situation between Jesus and the leaders of the, of the um, theocracy there. And he tells them in Matthew 21, he said, the stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. He's talking about himself. And he's saying, you guys are rejecting the foundation stone that God in, has intended all along. And then, so the controversy goes on. And by Matthew 23 He pronounces uh, seven woes on the Pharisees. And he tells the people, he said, now, they sit in places of authority, so do what they say, but don't do what they do because their hearts are not right. Don't do what they do. And then he pronounces seven woes to them uh, about their hypocritical lives. And of course, at the end of his last words on the planet, before he went back to headquarters, he tells the folks around him there, he says, now you go and teach about me all over the world. Don't go and teach the law of Moses. Teach about me. And baptize believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'll be with you. So battle lines are sort of drawn as as it was viewed And and Jesus is acknowledging that I'm the one. I'm the chief cornerstone. It's me. It's not the old ways. The old ways were leading to me. Um, So battle lines were drawn. And the the way, as it was frequently called, has been in a lot of conflict with the Jewish leadership back in the day. Uh, Paul will get into, as we talk about this, he'll get into the why, of the fading of the old law and the beginning of the new covenant. He'll discuss that. Uh, But, you know, Jeremiah had talked about this 600 years before. Jeremiah 31, 31, he tells Israel, he said, there's a new covenant coming, and it's not written on stone. It's to be written on hearts. Uh, the nation has been told there's going to be a change. It's going to be coming, and it's going to be a covenant written on men's hearts. Uh, So the the nation has been told there's a new covenant. They just weren't ready to see it and didn't see it. Uh, In Galatians, when Paul writes the Galatians, he says that uh, the law of Moses was our schoolmaster to bring us or until the time of Christ, our schoolmaster. And what did it teach? It taught sin brings death because the nation of Israel was continually offering sacrifices for their sin, continually. It went on for centuries, and one thing they learned from all of that was that sin brings death. We can't keep the law, we've got to make sacrifices to pay for our sins as best we can. Uh, It taught, the second thing, because of that, it taught man's incapable of living good enough to be right with God. You know, a lot of people, you'll hear this from time to time, and we still do it, try to justify our lives. Well, I'm a pretty good person, and that's, Usually, I remember in a discussion I had years ago with some folks at work back at State Farm, and we were on a trip, and we're talking about life and about God and about the need for repentance and obedience. And one of the ladies in the car, she said, well, I'm a pretty good person. So she, she had justified herself because she wasn't doing some overt things. Paul's going to say, pretty good is not good enough. So the the old law taught the nation that sin brings death, separation from God, that man cannot live good enough to be right with God. And thirdly, that if man is going to be with God, it's going to take some help, there needs to be a rescue, because man's incapable of being there. Of attaining that and that's what the schoolmaster taught for several centuries until Christ came uh, Paul writes again in Galatians we are going to get to Romans we are Paul writes again in Galatians uh, in the fullness of time God sent forth his son born under the law to redeem those that were captive under the law they weren't free under the law of works. They were slaves. But in the fullness of time, God brought forth the Messiah to free those that were captive under the law of works, as it were. Uh, Richard's got a hand. He's itching to say something.
1: I totally disagree with you on that it was a law of works. Okay, you disagree with that. It was not a law of works. Okay. It was a law of faith. And it turned into a law of works. Some people, some of the Jews believed that they could get salvation through doing these things. Uh They didn't understand that salvation came from trusting in Hashem and then doing these because we put our trust in Him. This is what we're doing because we trust Him and no one else.
0: Yeah. And so Richard's saying it gradually became a law of works because... They, put their, they didn't see it as God has intended it. I'll go to Galatians 3, 10, and 11. Paul writes, All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not do everything that is written in the law. So that's when I say it's a law of works, that's what I'm referring to. If a person could not do everything that was written under the law... They were under a curse. As James said, if you break one law, you're guilty of all of it. So that's how I'm looking at that. Hebrews 10, let's look at Hebrews chapter 10 real quickly. Hebrews 10, verse 1 and verse 3. A little more light on this. For since the law was but a shadow, so it was not, it was not the, end, the end all, it was a shadow. It was like he says in Galatians, a schoolmaster to bring the nation to a certain point. Since the law has, was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those that draw near." So the law can't do that. Because breaking of the law is this one law is the same as breaking the whole law. And everyone under the law lived under a curse because they could not live perfectly. They could not keep it. And that's what I'm talking about when I say a law of works. It could not be kept. Verse 3 in the sacrifices under the law, there's a reminder of sins every year. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So it was temporary in its nature. God was teaching Israel, you need help. He was teaching Israel, you, you're not good enough. You can't live up to it. No man is good enough to be right with me on his or on her own. We're fallible, we're fallible. We're imperfect and we just can't make the grade on our own. Uh, Let's say just a couple of things as we talk about the law systems. A law of works basically is a system that dispenses justice, but where one violation condemns. By contrast, the law of faith, as Paul talks about the covenant of Jesus in Romans three twenty-seven, he calls it the law of faith. The law of faith dispenses only justice as well. But provision has been made for violations through faith. That's the system of faith. They both dispense justice. God would not be God. God would not be holy if justice was not, were not dispensed. Under the law of Moses, there was no provision. The uh, sacrifice of animals was not good enough to pay for man's sins. But under the law of Christ, the law of the freedom of Spirit has made me free from the law of sin and death, Romans 8.1. Under Christ, there has been provision made for violations through faith. Faith in what? Faith in his sacrifice. And that's how we can be right with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, not on our own. Not on our own. God is also remains righteous by requiring the payment of sin. He can't just overlook sin and say, well, that doesn't count. Uh, they just didn't know any better. no there's still sin there, and if God will be just, if that person is going to have a relationship with him, that has to be paid for. So by the sacrifice of Jesus, the scriptures tell us again in Hebrews, his sacrifice was once for all, for all sin. Hebrews 10. His sacrifice was strong enough to pay for all sin, and by 1 Peter 2, he bore our sins on the cross. By carrying our sins and dying for our sins, God has paid for the sin of mankind. So he remains holy and righteous because a heavy, heavy price has been paid for the violation for sin. And because of that, through our faith in Jesus, we can have relationship with him. Um, let's look at two more verses, and, and we'll we'll leave, and we'll go to the next thing. Uh, he, Hebrews chapter nine, verse fifteen, says that he's the mediator of a new covenant since the death has occurred that redeems, death has occurred that redeems from the sins committed under the former covenant. So he's the mediator of a new covenant. And turn to Romans 3, very well-known passage, Romans 3, 24 and 25, talking about this, about how God is justifying us through faith. Um... Okay, for I'll, I'll start in 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Here's the verse. Who God put forth as a payment by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. He never forgot about the old sins, the sins under the Old Testament, but the blood of Jesus went back to cover the folks that lived in faith toward God. That includes Abraham. That would include Noah. That would include David and so on. They were saved because of their faith in God, not because of animal sacrifices. God paid for their sins like ours, verse 25, by the payment of Jesus for sins. That's how it happens so that we, unworthy people, we don't go to heaven on our own righteousness. We go to heaven on the righteousness of Jesus and our dependence on that. And so... That's the contrast between those two systems. Um,
1: uh, are you saying there was no forgiveness under?
0: Nope. Saved by faith.
1: Okay. Then why in Leviticus five, uh, four, and six it ends talks about different things, and it says he, his sins will be forgiven. Yeah, they will be. He will be forgiven. He will be forgiven talking about the sacrifices that are made, the things that have to be done. And it says he will be forgiven.
0: Yeah, I think will be forgiven refers to Jesus' sacrifice for sins old and new. Because as Paul writes, or whoever wrote Hebrews, says the blood of bulls and goats is not sufficient payment for the sins of man. So I think the people that kept the law they will be forgiven because of their faithfulness to God, but their forgiveness came through the cross. Backward and forward. One sacrifice for all sin for all time. That's, my, that's the way I see it. And look,
1: as we go through this,
0: I mean, I'm not saying you have to agree with anything I say. I'm doing the best I can. You're welcome to your own opinions. That's, I'm explaining the way I understand it. And uh, I think, to what you're saying, Richard, the folks that kept, that were faithful and conscientious in keeping the sacrifices and the commandments as best they could under Moses' law, I believe they were forgiven. I don't believe it was because of the sacrifice of that goat. I believe they were forgiven because of their faith in God and the sacrifice that was coming through Jesus right there. That's how they were forgiven, in my opinion. Well,
1: it's also Paul's
0: point. I think that's Paul's point. Romans 3, 24, 25. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm sure we'll have you guys, some of you are not saying anything. I'm sure you've got all kinds of thoughts out there. And that's fine. It's all good. Right, Eric? Amen. Amen. Hey, Eric, next week I want you in the first section. It's okay. come on down. I may, you may get to get a chance at the daily Double or something, so move toward the front. Uh, so um, let's see where I might be here. One thing that's of, sometimes comes up of interest is the Jesus statement in Matthew chapter 5:17. I keep looking at you like this. I'm used to readers, but Pam says, just wear these glasses. But I want to do this. Uh, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Matthew 5, 17. So, thoughts? What's he saying? He didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Somebody that hasn't had a comment so far. What's he saying? Any ideas? Any thoughts, sir? He was Bob says he was the fulfillment of the law. So the prophets, how so? The prophets. He was the fulfillment of the prophecies. He was the one they were talking about. He fulfilled the law in that he kept it perfectly, without sin. He fulfilled it, and he was the object of the law. He, um, And as the writer of Hebrews says, he was the perfect sacrifice. He was the lasting sacrifice, one time for all, whereas the animal sacrifices were every year. They were never sufficient. They were every year. But he is the sacrifice, so he fulfilled what the law was aiming for. The, the law of Moses was to keep people aligned with God and teaching them that sin causes death and there has to be payment for sin. And he, hopefully they were learning that so that when the Messiah came, as John the Baptist said, John 1.29, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that they would recognize the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, was the sacrifice that would take away the sin of the world. Jesus was the Lamb of God. So he fulfilled the law several ways. He, he didn't come to say it was bad. He came to complete it and fulfill it and to say now we're moving forward under a new covenant. My covenant. Hebrews is, talks about that to great, at great length, uh, which we went through Hebrews about a year ago. Some of you were in that. Um, one other thing about... The book before we get into a verse by verse look. Uh, The theme of the book, what's it about? Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. Basically, everybody says this is the central nugget of what Romans is about. So Paul says this, verse 16 I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the message, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You know, Paul, so here's a guy who's been all around the place through Judea and spent time in Asia Minor and Greece. And he's gone through a lot of attack. He's been beaten over and over. He's been imprisoned. He's been threatened. He's been stoned. He's he's been through a rough time. For what? For talking, or teaching the gospel. And so he says from Corinth when he writes the Romans, he says, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not backing away from the gospel message. It is God's power unto salvation to everyone. A question for us. How are we doing there? How is our faith known? Are we ashamed of the gospel or not? Uh, By that I'm saying, do people know who we are? Do people know what we're about? Sometimes I've been in situations or I've seen situations where it would be easy just to kind of, Shrink back a little bit and let the conversation go on. Mm-mm. That would be ashamed of the gospel, wouldn't it? The challenge for us in a culture who is growing and increasingly anti-Bible is to be a people that are not ashamed of the gospel. How else will anyone be changed? if they don't hear that message. So Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's power unto salvation. Um, It's the power of an energized message, Hebrews 4.12. The word of God when spoken, that truth, the writer of Hebrews says, has the power... To penetrate the heart. Now, not all hearts are equally open. Some hearts are very hard. The gospel won't penetrate them. One of Jesus' parables, he talks about the parables of the sower and the seed. The different kind of soils, and not every soil is receptive to seed. Some of it just is so stony it won't accept But for open hearts, the writer of Hebrews says, the gospel is God's power. It's energized. That message has the ability to penetrate and convict the heart to divide from the soul and the spirit, from the bone and the marrow. There's a penetration there in a good heart where we're convicted about that message. And how do you know who's going to respond to it until you say it to them? If you don't say it to them, so someone's watching Mike, and they say, you know, that's a good guy. He treats me right, he treats me fair, he doesn't, he doesn't cuss, he doesn't cheat me, he, he's a good guy. And so they, they leave that, and they look at Ken, and they say, Ken's a good guy, man, he's a great neighbor. He'll do anything for you. Good guy. And they look at Robin and say, you know, she brought me a a bowl of soup. What a nice thing to do. People can look at what we do, and that's a great thing. And we should do, we should be that way. But they need to hear, they need to hear what Jesus has done for them The, the bowl of soup, it may open the door, but it won't save their soul. I think we, uh, Ross Cochran was here a couple of years ago and he made a statement preaching in, when Eddie was gone. What am I doing? I look at this wire, it's just going everywhere. Uh, and uh, Ross made a statement. He said, we need to be better at conversation. We need to be better at conversation. Uh, That stuck with me. And you know what I've learned uh, over the years? It's not too hard. It's not too hard. Why don't you come to church with me? How hard's that? Well, I don't know. I don't know what they might think. What are you here for? For crying out loud. What are we here for? We need to get better at conversation. I'm not going to ask till I get home what Jennifer said to Pam that caused Pam to laugh. But I will ask. And Jennifer, tonight at house church, you're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> So um, let that, I, want to, I just want to say that to be an encouragement. It's the power of the energized message, it's the power to liberate people from sin. The gospel message is that. It's the power over death and Satan. Hebrews 2 14, 15, 16, 17. He says, Jesus came to free the slaves, to free, he became flesh to be like the children, that being us. So that we might be freed from the slavery to sin and death. Freed. That's why he came. That's the power of the gospel to free us from the power of Satan, to free us from the power of sin through faith in Jesus. Man. I mean, think about that. That should just kind of us, give us a cold chill or two. That is tremendous news. Uh, the power of resurrection. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that this life is not the end, it is the beginning. And that because Jesus was raised by the power of the Father, we too will be raised by the power of the Father. That's the gospel message, the resurrection. That which is buried weak will be raised in glory. That which is buried mortal will be raised immortal. Better than the Avengers. You know, I never did understand that Superman versus Batman thing. I didn't see the movie. But how could Batman beat Superman? I mean, good night. Batman can't do that stuff. Greater than Superman, guys. Raised in glory, raised immortal. That's the power of the gospel. The power of rebirth. The power to move me from self-centered to God-centered. I won't move from self-centered unless something very powerful is acting on me to make me God-centered and change my life. Power of the gospel does that. We need to be better communicators, I would say. Uh, So now we're ready for verse 1. We plan to move in May. If I stay until we finish this book, it'll be like Eric. We'll, We'll be moving in 2028. So we'll probably skip over some things. It's 947. Tell you what, let's, Lord willing, let's plan on starting with verse 1. Next week, is so good to have you here. Have a great week. Merry Christmas to one and all. More coffee and bathrooms are everywhere. See you later. And Happy Hanukkah.
1: Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the East Side Church of Christ